We're continuing uh, our series in First Peter. Uh, we are in chapter 2, uh, continuing in chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. But again, um, it is on the screens uh, behind me as well. How many of you know what an oxymoron is? All right, so we know it as a device in which two seemingly uh, contradictory words are used together for effect. And I, I wrote down some, some uh, examples here. An actual reenactment. Accidentally on purpose. Clearly focused. A short wait. Michigan defense. I could have said Cowboys defense. I wasn't really for sure where to go on that one. Deafening silence. And these last two we're going to kind of talk about, especially towards the end of the message. Lone Ranger Christian and inactive member. Now, as we talk about what it means to be that oxymoron and, and what we have been called to be as a Christian, I want us to dig in uh, and read what Peter says in uh, verses 4 through 8. He says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling. A rock and a rock of offense. So as we talk about this oxymoron, I want us to look at a couple of words here. Um, Jesus is called a living stone. How many of you have ever seen a living stone? If you have, you had a pet rock as a kid, and that's okay. But in verse 5, Christ followers are called living stones. So how can a stone... Be living. I mean, they seem like two con- contradictory at first glance. But verse 4 begins with Peter continuing his exhortation uh, for us by being intentional. We have been called to be intentional. That we have, as Christians, have been called to be determined in our daily devotion. Peter says, as you come to Him... So as you come to Him, to come was used of drawing near to God in worship in the Old Testament. So we have been called to draw near to God. As we walk into these doors, we are preparing to come near to God as we worship Him. Peter assumes that we will come near to Christ. It's in the present tense as well. It's not something that we just, we come near to God and then we kind of go about our daily lives. No, we are told to come near to Him early and often. That's what this is really trying to get at. And I love what Peter does here throughout these these first two chapters as he is going to continue to do. Remember, as we've been talking about 1 Peter, who it was written to, These Christians were scattered. These Christians were persecuted. These Christians were aliens. They didn't have a lot of people around them. They were burdened. They were bummed. And Peter does exactly what he learned from his master. 
what he learned from Jesus. Because there were a lot of people that were bummed and burdened during Jesus' day as well. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's exactly what those people in First Peter were going through. And it's exactly what many of you are dealing with today. There's a lot of, of hard things that you are going through and you think, well, I can just do it on my own. I don't need anyone else's help. But what we're able to see here is that Jesus tells us to call upon His name. That He is the one that gives us rest. He is the one that builds us up. You see, when we understand who Christ is, we'll be able to understand who we are. You know, a lot of times, as a Christian, we try to just do it all on our own. And we try to just model other Christians. We try to model the preacher. We try to model our parents. We try to model everyone else. The problem with that is, when we try to model other people, we become like them. But we've been called to be like Christ. And that's very, very important for us to be able to understand. So we have to understand a portrait of who Christ is. And then he spells out some privileges for us as well. So let's look at that portrait of Christ. Number one, the Savior is a stone. So when we see a portrait of Christ, we see a stone. Well, what does that mean? What's that look like? Well, in the first century, a stone was one of the most stable things around When you saw a stone, when you saw a boulder, when you saw a rock, you went, that's not movable. It's permanent. It's embedded. It's there. And when we go over to the Middle East, when we go to these places that they use stone to build their structures, it's why they're still there today. We have structures that have been built in the United States and they've only made it for several years before they're blown down, uh, torn down, whatever it is, because we use cheap structures to build. But when you build with stone, it's solid and it has a foundation. That's what we see here. And we have three different types of stones that are listed. Uh, interestingly, Peter quotes three Old Testament passages In verses 4 through 5, he is called the living stone. It literally is a stone that gives life and provides sustenance. We perform a bunch of dead rituals for a dead Savior, right? No, we don't. You see, we are able to do amazing things in a relationship with the living Savior. And that's why he is called the living stone. He's also the cornerstone in verses 6 through 7. In some translations, it it, it says the chief cornerstone. Jesus actually refers to himself in in, uh, Luke 20, verse 17, as the chief cornerstone. And then in verse 8, he is the stone of stumbling. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. So we have this Savior being a stone. We also have him being precious. And a lot of times, that's how we picture God as Father, right? We see that stone structure. And we see something that is hard and immovable, impenetrable. I can't say it. You know what I mean. Um, It's hard. We'll say that, okay? You can't get through it. There we go. Um, 
But then, that's the only picture that we get, right? That hard stone. Many times that's how we see our fathers, as being hard and stone-like. They don't get through, they don't show emotions. And that's the way that we picture God as Father. But I love the other word that is used here. Twice in this passage we read, Precious. Jesus as Savior is precious. This word means honored, esteemed, valuable. It brings a a softness to who He is as Savior. So we have someone who is stone, who who is secure, who is strong, but also precious. And then that tells us um, a little bit about us, the privileges of a Christ follower. Well, what is our privilege? We must always start with who Christ is before we can understand who we are. So let me point out that while Christianity is deeply personal, it's not meant to stay private. A lot of times we go, well, I really don't want to talk about Christianity in my workplace. I don't want to talk about church and I don't want to talk about Jesus and I don't want to talk about God with my family because it's going to start an argument and I don't want to talk about my friends because they might make fun of me. So I'm just going to keep it all to myself. And like Gollum, it's my precious. We want to keep it all to ourselves, right? Well, that's not what we've been called to do as Christians. And while it is deeply personal, God calls us individually he has also designed us for community to be in connection with others we're made to do life together to be with one another to serve one another did you know that almost all of the you exhortations in the new testaments are in the plural not in the singular so when we when peter and paul and james and john when they're writing in the new testament And they're talking about you. It would be like what we would say uh, in the South. We'd say y'all. Okay? So what Peter is saying is, hey, y'all, I'm talking to you as a whole group. Or if it's more than three, it's you-ins, right? Yeah, whatever it is. Um, And they say something weird up in Pennsylvania, too. Yuns. Yeah, yuns. What? What? Yuns? Oh, my goodness. We are. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Sorry, couldn't help it. Um, But it's the plural version of that. And that's what we have to be able to see here. So what we're able to see is that while we can apply it personally into our lives, it's also for all of us. And so we need to make sure that we are sharing it with everyone. And that's very, very important for us. We're not independent, but we're interdependent. And as we read through verses 5 through 8, that's what we're able to see. And as we talked about all of this, I heard Jared um, shared this with you guys last week. He, he, he gave you a little bit of a pop quiz, and he talked about our vision. And, and from what uh, I heard in this pop quiz, you failed miserably. So, what? He's lying? I didn't say fail miserably. Oh, okay. Maybe that was my interpretation of what he said. I'm sorry. All right. So, all right, let's see if you're any better this week, okay? Um, wow, we're way off track. Um, what's the first part of the vision? Jesus. 
To seek. Yes. To seek the lost. Meaning that we're going to come together in worship. That we're all going... What? Seek Jesus. Sorry. Seek the lost. Sorry. Um, seek Jesus. I, I need a pop quiz, I guess. Um, it means we're coming together corporately in worship. What's the second one? To lead others. Yes. That we are going to lead others. That we're going to not just come together. Because it's great to be here, right? And it's great to come and worship together and be collectively surrounded by one another. But there's only so much talk that we get. And yes, I give you the 30 minutes between the services. And many of you, after this service, you'll hang out afterwards. But you can only go so deep in a conversation. But when we get involved and we lead others and we are a part of a small group, that's where we do some of our best growing. We are able to have those deep conversations with one another. And then that follow, the, 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 the final one is to deploy. Yes, meaning to serve. Now, again, we're going to do some great uh, things as a full church. We're going to continue doing the Operation Christmas Child every year. And we're going to do the Rise Against Hunger. We're going to pack 20,000 meals. And we need to make sure that we have all hands on deck, that we're able to do that and to invite and to bring people in to be a part of that. We're going to do a house build in the spring. And it's going to be awesome as we do all of those things together as a full church. But all of our life groups are also going to be doing individual service projects as well and that's what when we when we serve together we grow together that's where that um, intimate family really comes into play that when this world just gets you down yeah it's great to come to church on a sunday morning and 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 to sing songs and to hear a message but when you're able to just talk with your life group about what's going on in life it changes so much and that is what we've been called to do. As we read through these verses, we remember who Peter was writing to in that first century. They were suffering. They were scattered. And imagine how these words must have just encouraged them. You have a living stone who is there for you. So, as we move forward, now I want us to talk a little bit more about the family and the purpose so let's talk about a family with a foundation. When you come to faith in Christ, you enter the family of God with Jesus as your foundation. If you look at verse 5, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built in the sight of God. I, I like what the King James Version says here. I'm not one that always reads the King James Version. It, it, it's a, a harder read. It's, it's old English. There's these and thou's. And, and if you read it and you love it, then I encourage you to continue reading it. But for me, it's hard. But I love, I, I always look at many of the different translations as I'm breaking down the verses. And I love the way that it's broken down here because it says, it translated as lively stones. Some of you this morning need to be a little bit more lively. You're just kind of here. Or you just go through life somewhat almost lifeless. And I've shared this with you before, but you, you walk around going, I'm a Christian and you should be like me. It's so much fun. Yay. No, nobody's going to follow that, are they? But when you go around and you say, hey, on November the 17th, 
we're doing Rise Against the Hung- Rise Against Hunger. We're going to pack 20,000 meals. And it's going to be an awesome time where everyone's coming together. I promise there's not going to be any preaching. There's not going to be a bunch of worship stuff. We're just going to pack meals. And we're going to send 20,000 packaged meals. And each package feeds eight people. And we're going we're gonna to package those up. And they're going to go to um, a nation who's really in need. And you, you're excited about it. They're going to want to come to that. But if you're not excited about it, how are they going to be excited? We've got to make sure that we share the gospel and that we are lively. I'm reminded of what Jesus said on Palm Sunday. His enemies come to him on that Palm Sunday and and Jesus has entered in on the donkey and, and they basically come in and say, hey, 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 you're disturbing the peace. And they were more uh, concerned about the Romans and what the Romans may do to them than about who Christ was. One, they didn't believe that he was the Christ anyways. But hey, keep it down because we don't need a rebellion and we don't need uh, more sanctions put against us. Luke chapter 19, verse 40. Jesus says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. It's very important for us to be able to see. If we remain silent, the stones are going to cry out. Creation, His creation will cry out. You see, you are dependent on those that are around you, that are under you, that support you, the ones that are on top of you. Think about it this way. If you've ever seen a human pyramid that's been built, cheerleaders do it. And we did it at CIY this last year. We, we had a picture of, of our group. Um, I tried to eat on top, you know, top of the pyramid. They wouldn't let me. Um, but uh, so we're making this pyramid. And if all of a sudden someone in the middle or someone on the side starts to give way, what happens? It collapses. Yes. Now, can it hold for a little while? If one piece starts to go, will it hold for a short time? Yes. But the pressure that is put down upon the rest of those pieces becomes too much. And eventually, it will all just cave in upon itself. And the same exact thing happens with Christianity. It happens with your relationship with Christ. Yes, it is personal, but we are a family and we need one another. We are all part of those stones that have been stacked on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. He is that cornerstone. And then we've been built upon and stacked from the base all the way to the top. And if one gives way, if one walks away, then we will start to fall apart. We must be surrounded and with one another. Many of us included... Uh, myself in this will say as we come to church I am going to church hey uh, kids make sure you set your alarms because we're going to get up and we're going to go to church tomorrow and you get up this morning and you said hey we are going to go to church there's a problem with that again as I said I say that a lot as well but the problem with that is 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 we don't go to the church we are the church. And that's very important. This is a building. This is just a building. And when we walk out of these doors and we go out into the rain today, guess what? We're still going to be the church. 
and this will be a building at 1813 Mountain View Road. We are the church. We must see the church as people, not just a place. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Friends, understand we don't go to the church. We are the church. And because we're connected to Christ, we're connected to each other. Because we have the same foundation, we are in the same family. I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller and, and he uh, quoted uh, and, and referenced a study that found that 81% of Americans, 81% of Americans believe that they can live a flourishing Christian life without going to church. The new norm is you're an active member if you come once every four weeks. That should never be the norm. We must be connected. We cannot live a flourishing life if we are not interdependent on one another. A churchless Christian is an oxymoron. In verses 6 through 7, Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the most important aspect of a building. If the stone is straight, the whole structure will be straight. Everything must line up with that cornerstone. And if you base your faith on what the preacher says or who the preacher is, guess what? It will falter. And everything will be cockeyed and everything will be wrong. Why? Because I'm not perfect. Shocker, I know. But I'm not perfect. Christ is perfect. If you build it upon just the doctrine of the church, it will not be straight. If you build it only on serving in the church, it will not be straight. It must be built and founded on the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. Are all of those things, other things important? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it must come down to who is Jesus Christ and who is he to you? That is the most important thing that we must see. You see, we're a family with a foundation. Secondly, we are a people with a purpose. Look at verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's just break these verses down real quick. The first thing that we see is a chosen race. God had his chosen people, right? He had the Israelites. But now, as Christians, we are his chosen people. So important for us to be able to see. We are a royal priesthood. Royal simply means belonging to the king. In verse 5, we are called a holy priesthood. In the Old Testament, uh, a priest is one who made the sacrifices for the people. They had special responsibilities. They had special privileges. But then, the people still needed to go between. 
Well, Jesus, we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4, that He is the great high priest. He made the ultimate sacrifice on Calvary. He became our high priest and our sacrifice. And with that, all of the sacrificial system ended. So in the Old Testament, we had priests. There was a priesthood. In the New Testament, we are the priesthood. A holy nation. New life in Christ means that we become citizens of a new nation in allegiance to King Jesus. It's no longer all about ethnic identity. It's not about geological boundaries. We, we are a a holy nation. Called out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is very similar to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. For For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. I love this last part of verse 10. That we have received mercy. It's a reference from the book of Hosea. Aren't you thankful that we have His mercy? I know I am every single day. Because of all of this, Because of everything that we have read up until this point and everything that we've read so far through 1 Peter, how could we not just be overly filled with joy, wholeheartedly giving everything we have in worship, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you That we can proclaim it. That we can shout it from the rooftop. That we can tell everyone out there. Here's the thing. The world that we live in right now wants to silence Christians. We cannot be silent. We must speak up. Now, it's how we go about it. It's how we handle ourselves. In chapter 3, we're going to talk more about that because he says, hey, you need to do it with gentleness and respect. Speak the truth. And many of us, we're really good at truth speaking, right? We don't want to hear the truth, but we love to tell the truth about other people. And we like to point out the wrongs in other people's lives. Jesus did it, but he did it in a certain way because there was always gentleness behind it. There was always respect behind it. And he always made sure they understood where he was coming from. And it was always out of love. We must do the same thing as well. So what are the priorities of a Christ follower? What are our priorities? We have a portrait of who Jesus is. We understand that there are some privileges But then, in verses 11 through 12, we are challenged to live out those priorities. Look at verses 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So this is what we get out of this verse. The first thing that we see as a priority is that we are to remember that we're from a different world. We are aliens. We do not 
This is not our home. And so Peter pleads with them. He says, Beloved, I urge you. Beloved, I urge you. What he's really saying here is, I beg you as those whom I love. Peter says, I love you so much. I beg you to please listen to what I have to say. And he established this in the very first part of chapter 1 as sojourners and exiles, as pilgrims, as aliens, as those who have been scattered abroad. And here's what we learned from that very first sermon in this series. We are scattered strangers living in an increasingly strange land, both physically and spiritually. The very first week that we talked about this, we polled uh, everyone here and I said, Hey, how many of you have been born and raised in Stafford, Virginia? First service, one hand went up. Second service, I believe there were two hands that went up. There's not a lot of people here from Stafford, Virginia. 20 years ago, there wasn't much around this area. Not like it's built up today. And it's going to continue to build up. And many of you that are in the military, you're going to continue physically being sojourners. And you're going to travel to different areas and different locations. Spiritually, this is not our home. So quit putting roots down like it is. Here's the deal. If you're a Christ follower, this is not where you belong. You are not from around here. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says that our true citizenship is in heaven. Tim Keller points out that Christ followers in the first century, they lived as aliens because some of the things they did and didn't do. One of the first things that they would not do is acknowledge Caesar as a god. And this really, really infuriated the Roman Empire. It was why, um, as we said, they were living underneath of Nero as emperor. It was why he was so mean and evil to Christians because they would not recognize him as a god. They also stood against abortion. They absolutely and radically committed themselves to the poor. They mixed races and classes all together. During that time, everybody was separate. And they were separated by what they did for a living. They were separated by how much money they had. They were separated by race. Everything was separate. But the Christians said, hey, we're all going to gather together. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter whether you're a slave or you're free. Hey, we're all going to meet together. Why? Because we are Christian. We are Christ-like. We are Christ followers. And that's who He has called us to be. And this goes back to the very first thing that I said. They believed that Christ was the only way to heaven. It was one way. It wasn't through all of these other gods. It wasn't by following any other way that all, all paths lead to one enlightenment. One way. And that was through Jesus Christ. And guess what? We need to make sure that we are holding on to that same exact thing today. Secondly, realize that you're at war with sin. We're to abstain from 
from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. To abstain means to keep away, to avoid. It's in the present tense, meaning that words can continually keeping away. Three years ago, I started a process of really transforming my body. And um, one of the things that I gave up was all fast food, even Christian chicken. And that was really hard. I could drive by McDonald's and I was just like, ugh, smells like grease. I don't want that. But if I drove by Chick-fil-A, those first several months, it was hard. Because I smelled it and I went, turn left. You know, I mean, I wanted it really, really bad. I couldn't even go inside. I couldn't see my, my kids continue to eat it. My daughter, she absolutely loves it. And she'd be like, Dad, you want the last bite? Um, get behind me, Satan. Um, and it was really, really hard. I had to abstain. I had to keep away from it. I had to stay at a distance and continue to stay at a distance. Now I can drive by a lot of those fast food places and it doesn't even bother me. But now I drive by Mission Barbecue and I was like, is that brisket? It's not fast food. Simply because it's been cooking for 12 hours and it's a lot better for you I think, I don't know I'm afraid that too many of us have settled in with sin in our lives we've cozied up to compromise we've excused our actions the problem is that's exactly the picture that we find in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at your door. Don't give in. Stay firm. Number three, reflect Christ in your works. Yes, we are at war with our own sins. But here is something very, very important that I want to make sure that you understand. While we are at war with our own sins, we are not at war with sinners. For too many of us, we just think, well, I'm not going to talk about my own sin because look at them. Look at the world. They're full of a bunch of sinners. Well, guess what? This room is a full of bunch of sinners. You're staring at one right now. Because I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. The good thing is, is I have Christ as my foundation. And because of that, His mercy has covered over me. And we need to reflect Christ in our works. Warren Wearsby put it like this. He says, our real battle is not with people around us, but with passions within us. Verse 12 says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We can't just withdraw from culture. We can't just give in to culture. We've been called to stand firm. 
to realize that we need to wage war with the sin in our own lives and to love those who need to hear the love of Christ as well. And we've come to that time in the service where we're going to partake of communion. Um, and before we talk about communion, um, you're going to notice that we haven't taken up offering yet. We're doing things a little bit differently. Um, on each one of the communion stations, uh, there is an offering box. And so I encourage you that um, as you come and you partake of your communion, as you get it, you can just drop your offering right in the box. If you have one of the connection cards, you can just drop them right in the box. But as you focus in on the bread, I want you to remember that Jesus, the living stone, came and lived here upon this earth. And he has went through everything that you have struggled with and yet remained perfect. And because of that, his body was broken and his blood was shed. And we take of this juice remembering that he is the great high priest. Not only did he offer the sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. So I'm going to pray for us and then as you're ready, you can get up and go to one of the stations and you can uh, get your communion uh, and you can put your offering in. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you have given us a great high priest. Father, we're unworthy. But you have forgiven us. And as we wage war with our sin, as we reflect on your work, we remember that you are the one that has set us free. And so, Father, as we, as we come to this time where we partake of these emblems, we remember what you did for us. That you left heaven and you came down to give your life for ours. We thank you for that gift. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Before we wrap everything up, um, I wanted to take the time uh, to say thank you. Um, personally, this is coming from me, but it's also coming from, uh, I think, like 8,000 miles away. Uh, because I had the chance and the opportunity to talk with... Uh, Madison Jones um, this last week and she called me and she said <clears throat> excuse me hey Travis um, I need a lot of prayer because uh, I just found out that um, by October the 25th I need to have $2,500 just that morning I'd received an email from Dave Buck who is our uh, financial trustee and in that email, he had told me that um, at that moment, we had about $3,500 to give to her. But then by the time that we were all done, um, I told her, I said, hey, I, I need to get back with you. And um, I couldn't wait to actually call her. Um, so I woke her up at like 5 o'clock in the morning because uh, she woke me up one night at 2 o'clock in the morning our time because she needed to talk. So I paid her back a little bit. And because of what you as a church have done, 
um, we were able to cut her a check for $4,450. And as awesome as that is, just today, uh, we've received another $1,000 to send to her. And so I just want to say thank you. And she says, thank you. Um, and keep her in your prayers because, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been really awesome for her. But this is the longest and furthest that she's ever been away from her family. Um, so a little bit of homesickness is, is kind of sinking in right now. Um, so if you would just uh, keep her in your prayers, it would be greatly appreciated uh, through all of that. Uh, she's excited about going to Peru. Um, she's going to spend, uh, I think, three weeks on the Amazon and uh, sleeping in a hammock. And uh, she's excited about that. Um, and we'll keep you updated of what she's doing. But um, thank you. Because as a family, we've come together to see um, not just Madison's life enriched, but the amount of people that she is going to affect as she goes to the Amazon and as she goes... Uh, to Peru and uh, beyond, it's going to be an amazing effect. So thank you again for what you have given. Now what? As we bring everything together, um, there's only really uh, two things I really want to bring together uh, this morning. Um, I want to talk to two people groups. I told you that we're not breaking it down by race or anything else, but there's two people groups because Jesus does this, so it's okay. The first one, I want to talk to those who have not yet been saved. Those of you who have never given your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to know that you cannot be neutral with Jesus. He will either save you or he will shatter you. There's no third option. Verse 6 says, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Those who have trusted, those who have given their lives over to him, those who say, Jesus is my Savior, who have confessed their sins, who have repented of their sins, who have been baptized, who are living a life of faith. But I want you to notice the contrast because in verse 7 it says, but for those who do not believe, that dividing line is belief. You either believe in him or you don't. There is no middle ground. I want you to drop down to verse 8. It says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word. The, the word stumbled literally means to strike, slam, or dash against. It was used of a traveler bumping into an obstacle that makes him slip or or trip. It carries with it the idea of, of suffering harm, to, to take offense, to be annoyed and enraged. Some of you understand what this word means for stumble. You've gotten up in the middle of the night, you need to use the restroom, you don't want to turn on a light because you don't want to wake up your spouse, and you stub your pinky toe on the corner of the bed. You're enraged, <laughs> you're hurt. You slip, you hurt. In Matthew 21, Jesus uses some strong language to show that no one who comes in contrast or contact with him can ever stay the same. Referring to himself in verse 42, Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected 
And he is now the chief cornerstone of the building of believers that he is constructing. In verse 43, he tells the Jewish uh, religious leaders that because they have rejected him, the message will now go to the Gentiles. The message will now go to us. And in verse 44, Jesus declares, He who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Here's the difference. If you fall on the mercy of Jesus Christ, who is the living stone, you will be broken and you will be humbled and he will save you. But he who doesn't believe will be hardened and will end up being crushed by Christ. No one can stay the same. Once you have met Jesus Christ, you will either come to know him as Savior or you won't. Second group of people I want to talk to real quick. Those of you who are saved. I think the ultimate oxymoron, lukewarm Christian. They're totally contradictory words. We use them together to refer to someone who believes in Christ, but is no different than those who don't believe in Christ. And Jesus doesn't like this label either. In Revelation chapter 3, he's talking about the people of Laodicea. And as he's talking to these Christians, he says, I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. But because you're just lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. The actual translation, he says, I just want to vomit you out. Have you ever just tried to take a drink of just lukewarm water? I mean, it's not... Let, let's take coffee for an example. We loved iced coffee, right? Well, some of you. You loved iced coffee. You love hot coffee. But if you just grab a lukewarm coffee, you're just like, oh, what was that? It's exactly what Jesus wants to do with us. And then he gives an invitation that is often quoted to non-Christians. We read verse 20 and we go, yeah, non-Christians... He's standing at the heart of your door or the door of your heart and he's knocking. The problem is, is when he writes this, he was actually writing to the Christian. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Yes, we can use that to non-Christians all we want and it works really well, but, but... To the Christian, if you've built up some walls, if you've closed the door, if you're standing on the fence, it's time to get off the fence. It's time to tear down those walls. It's time to open that door up. And it's time to be on fire for Christ. It's our choice. He gives us that choice. And so if you're here today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ, He gives you that as an open invitation because you will never be the same. And you can come to the back with me and and we'll talk about what that looks like to give your life over to Him. For you Christians who maybe I was just talking about, maybe you're a little lukewarm. 
I want you to know that I'm going to be in the back and Jared and some of the elders, they're going to be in the back with me. And if you need someone just to talk with, to listen to you, to pray with you, we're in the back and we would love to talk with you and to try to help you however we possibly can. If you have a decision to make, will you make it as we continue our worship? Please do.